Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Blues fans got kind of excited today with some news that came out of Calgary. Matthew Kachuk not going to sign a long-term deal with the Flames. What does that mean? It means they're probably going to have to move him. Because if they don't move him, then he hits free agency and they lose him for absolutely nothing. And immediately, immediately, we hear from Blues fans really wanting to see Matthew Kachuk wearing the blue note. We'd like to hear from you, 314-436-7900. Do you think that's a legit possibility? Are you somebody that's super geared up right now for the idea of Matthew Kachuk returning to his hometown of St. Louis as someone who can speak to returning to their hometown, as I just did it this week, coming here to KMOX, I can tell you the, the allure of coming to St. Louis is something that's uh, a very strong thing for those of us who grew up here. Uh, But can it really, can it happen? Can it happen? I am hesitant to believe that it can and will, it is going to be a challenge now, reportedly, Kachuk has given uh, the, a list of teams to the Flames that he'd be okay being traded to. And the reason that matters is you're not going to trade for Matthew Kachuk unless you are going to get a long-term deal done with him. So he has to be comfortable with wherever he's going to go. Uh, the, the teams that are being listed that are the teams that he reportedly would be interested in going to are the Blues, in addition to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Dallas Stars, the Nashville Predators, and the New York Rangers. Those are the big ones right now. And we don't know for sure the teams that are on that list, but those are the teams that have been mentioned. Here's the problem. I don't know how the Blues do this. Now, just because I don't know how they do it, does that mean it's not going to happen? No, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But it is going to be challenging to get this deal done. And it probably is not a deal that gets done without maybe the Blues and or the Flames trying to involve another team in a trade before or a trade after. Because you look at you look at the Blues roster and you look at the players who are big money players who you would be comfortable with moving on from. If if you could get Calgary to take on the contract of a Tory Krug, great. Take him. $6.5 million gone, and all of a sudden you have a little bit more flexibility in there. You'd probably say the same thing about Colton Pareko. There's some other players out there uh, on this roster. But you're probably going to be stuck including players that don't make as much money that are big contributors. Jordan Kyrou's name has already been mentioned. Maybe he could be used. Um, he He's at $2.8 million going into restricted free agency, so you have some club control on him. He's not making a ton of money. He's somebody who's... Um, who has done a nice job for you. He has a skill set that is helpful when it comes to playoff hockey. I just don't, maybe I'm just not smart enough and and it wouldn't be the first time that's the case. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to see how this all works out. The, the Vladimir Tarasenko stuff is still out there. 
do you move on from him at some point in time? And if you do move on from a Tarasenko, is a Matthew Kachuk enough to bring in to make up for his absence? And I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I was having a conversation with Kevin Wheeler earlier today before he left for the day. And we were talking about how, what do you do? And Calgary is in this full rebuild. That's part of the problem with this because maybe there's some players that if you're the Blues, you move on from. But you move on from them, they go to Calgary, and then Calgary's got to be ready to then spin those guys back off to bring in some younger players. So I, I said this at the, uh, this week. The crazy conversations always happen during the All-Star break. But this week has been the Juan Soto-Matthew Kachuk week for St. Louis sports fans. Yesterday we had that social media graphic that got posted by CBS Sports HQ that St. Louis was the number one landing spot for Juan Soto. How? And now we hear that Matthew Kachuk, that the number one destination for him would be the St. Louis Blues, and I ask the exact same one-worded question. How? How do you get it done? And it feels like there's more of a pathway for Kachuk to St. Louis then Soto to St. Louis, I'll be the first to admit that, but it's still not easy. It's still not easy. And when my big thing right now when it comes to the Blues, and there's a lot of offseason left and there's deals to be made, I get it. I said this earlier. How do you cut down the difference between the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche? Because the Avalanche are the class of the NHL. This is In hockey, hockey is a sport where the best team doesn't always win the Stanley Cup. Right? Yeah, it's more so than any sport. I would say a team getting hot and winning the Stanley Cup happens or winning the championship. It happens in hockey more than it happens in any other sport. It didn't happen this year. The Colorado Avalanche were the most talented team in the National Hockey League. They were the best team in the National Hockey League, and they won the Stanley Cup. So if you're going to compare yourselves against the Colorado Avalanche, how do you get to where they're at? How do you close that gap a little bit? And does acquiring Matthew Kachuk close that gap? It absolutely does, but we have to also go into who's going back. Who who exits the roster? And if you've got to move on from some core pieces of this team to go acquire a Kachuk, well, are you actually getting that much better? Or if you are getting better, are you actually cutting down the difference between you and the Avalanche that much? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you are. When all of a sudden, if a... If, if a Jordan Cairo is part of a deal, if if you find a way to move on from a Ryan O'Reilly just because of how much money he's making and he's coming up on unrestricted free agency, so you dump his salary, well, you when it comes to the playoffs, you need a defensive forward. You need a guy who's going to go win you a faceoff. That's who Ryan O'Reilly is. So what other moves are you making to position your roster to go get a Matthew Kachuk? And then all of a sudden, it's not just the addition of Kachuk anymore. It's the subtraction of other players. And have you really made up that much ground on the Colorado Avalanche? And I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can right now. That is the number one thing. You did not have the money to bring back a David Perron. Perron wanted to be in St. Louis. He, was, he didn't want to move on, but you didn't have that money. You, you could not even give him a contract offer that was even respectable. That's how tough your salary cap space is. Well, I think they got $625,000 in cap space right now. $625,000. You can do some things to try to clear a little bit of space, but you talk about having no wiggle room, no wiggle room whatsoever. 
and you look at the other teams that uh, reportedly would have inter- uh, interest in Kachuk. The Nashville Predators, their cap space, $8.5 million. Detroit Red Wings have been mentioned. I don't see that happening, but $10.3 million. The Devils, $9.6 million. The Islanders, $11.2 million. Uh, now, the Golden Knights, they're in actually a worse spot than the Blues are. They're in the negative. They're at minus $1.4 million. They've got some work to do. The Stars, they've got $11 million in cap space. So those other teams other than Vegas have some flexibility that the Blues right now absolutely do not have. All right, we're going to jump back into baseball coming up in just a moment. We are going to continue our series, the state of the NL Central. We'll talk all things Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll do that in just a moment. This is Sports Open Line on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Work or play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. When the Major League Baseball season got started, if you would have told me that at the All-Star break I was going to be doing a state of the NL Central Series and I was going to be starting with the last place team and moving my way up as the days went along, I probably would have expected the Pittsburgh Pirates to probably be on Monday and on Tuesday at the absolute latest. But instead, the Pirates have played to a 39-54 and record. They're not a good team. But they've got some young players. They are more entertaining than the Cubs or Reds. They have probably outplayed expectations at least a little bit. That's me saying that. Someone who knows better than me, though, is a guy who has covered the team for a long, long time. He is uh, John Parado. You can follow him on Twitter at Parado. That's P-E-R-R-O-T-T-O. John, thanks so much for taking uh, some time. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? I am good. I'm glad to be able to talk uh, to you about the Pirates and 
this is a young team and have had some players really uh, really step up, whether it's a, a Jack Sawinski, a Cabrian Hayes, an O'Neill Cruz. I, th- this has been a kind of a fun team to watch this year. You know, it really has. And uh, like you, you so aptly put it here a moment ago, probably a little bit better than people expected and, and not great at 39 and 54. They still certainly have a long way to go to become a contending team. But they have some interesting players. I think O'Neill Cruz obviously just oozes with raw talent. The, the rookie shortstop he can hit the ball a mile when he makes contact. He can run, run like a deer with those long legs at six foot seven, and he has a rocket arm at shortstop, uh, as good a shortstop arm. I think I got to go all the way back, probably to Sean Dunstan back in the eighties and nineties to, to think of a shortstop with a better arm than. And Cruz, and then you have, as you mentioned, Keith Brian Hayes, who is still kind of growing into his role in the big leagues as kind of the face of the franchise. He's a Gold Glove type third baseman, uh, still developing power. Brian Reynolds, uh, you know, one of the top uh, players in the National League, or certainly in the National League Central and center field. So yeah, and Jack Sawinski uh, had more home runs than any uh, National League rookie of fourteen. Unfortunately, he really fell into a, a real rut striking out about almost half his at-bats, and he's back down in AAA now, but but certainly showed quite a bit making the jump from AA to the big leagues in April. And, uh, you know, you throw in a couple pitchers, David Bednar, the closer, is still a young guy. He was in the All-Star game, pitched scoreless inning last night. Ronzi Contreras, uh, one of their uh, pitchers uh, in his first uh, full year of the big leagues, looking good. And uh, so they have some people to build on. Uh, You know, it's still going to take some time, but all in all, I think people would have to say this has been a little bit better year than, than anticipated. You mentioned O'Neill Cruz, 6'7", 220. He looks like a tight end out there, and he's playing shortstop. I remember when people made such a big deal about Troy Tulowitzki and his physical stature at shortstop. Cruz takes that one step further. You know, he really does. And, you know, it's still very early on in his career, and it's hard to say if he's going to be able to stay there for the long term as a six foot seven shortstop, but he does show pretty good range and really for a big man, pretty good agility, pretty good footwork at shortstop. So I think for the time being, he could stay there. I, I don't know if the wear and tear of that position, how well it'll hold up with a six foot seven guy over, you know, like a 10 year span. He, so eventually he may have to move. But, you know, there was a lot of thought that he would come up and he would show right away that he couldn't play shortstop in the big leagues and they'd move him to one of the corner outfield spots or or maybe first base. But uh, so far, he's uh, he's held his own at shortstop. And, uh, you know, he's had a lot of problems making contact the last few weeks. But, boy, when he does hit the ball, he hits the ball really, really hard. The Pirates have been in a rebuild for the better part of the last, what, 20 years, maybe more than that, with the with the occasional bump up and then they kind of fall back. But now they have been Charrington, and from the outside looking in, it feels like they finally kind of have that proverbial baseball adult running things. Is there is there some truth to that? Yeah, they were in need of a change. You know, Neil Huntington did a good job for a long time here. He built the you know, that took over a team that was, in my estimation, the worst organization of baseball and, and took them to the playoffs three times. But then he kind of lost his touch here and things kind of went all to hell in a handbasket his last few years of him and Clint Hurdle as manager. Charrington seems to be the perfect guy for this situation. You know, I'll, I'll give him credit. He's a, a guy who is 
was a front office executive in big markets for most of his career, was the general manager in Boston. And it's a whole heck of a lot harder to be the GM here in Pittsburgh in a lot of ways than it is in Boston. You may not have the media scrutiny and the fan scrutiny that, that one does with the Red Sox. But, Matt, the, I mean, they were right at the bottom again, like they were when Neil Huntington took over. And, uh, you know, for a guy coming to a franchise that won't spend money and, and the owner won't, I mean, regardless of what people might think that he eventually will spend money, he's been in, he's owned the team for 15 years now and he's never spent any decent amount of money. So, I mean, Ben Charrington is going to have to do this on a shoestring and he believes he can do it. And I think it's a challenge to him because he did put together a World Series winning team in Boston in 2013. And everyone dismisses it when a big market team like that wins and just says, well, you had the most money, you should win. And I think this is kind of a mission for Ben Charrington. He doesn't say it publicly, but I know he said it privately to people around the game that this is a real challenge for him to come here and prove not just to the rest of baseball, but to himself. But, yeah, I can go into a tough situation where you don't have a lot of money. You're not going to go sign big-name free agents. And yet I can still win. And, and you really have seem on a mission. And you see the franchise uh, slowly turning things around. They're, they're better on the, uh, in the major league level than they've been. Uh, and the minor league system is considered one of the best in baseball. And, uh, you know, it just people are enthused. I mean, they're not beating down the gates at PNC Park. But I think people realize, the fans, that, hey, they, they may be on something here long term. Brian Reynolds is a guy that there's a lot of teams in baseball that would love to acquire him. He's on the injured list right now. He's got an oblique issue. We know how those obliques stick around. And if you come back even just a little bit too early, you re-aggravate it and you're all the way back to uh, you know right where you were at the beginning. How much does this injury maybe impact uh, the ability for the Pirates to move him if they want to move him? You know, I, I think it, it certainly hurts their cause with this happening so close to the trade deadline. If you trade for a player, you want to have him right away. You don't want to wait until like August 15th or whenever it is when he probably come back from this injury, which, you know, generally usually take about a month of bleak injuries before a guy can play in the big leagues again. So uh, I, I think that hurts it. But I get the distinct feeling that the Pirates have kind of had a bit of a shift in philosophy on trading Reynolds. Uh, I would have guessed at the beginning of the season that he definitely, if not got traded at the deadline this year, would definitely get traded in this coming offseason. I'm not so sure that's the case now, Matt. I think this rebuild is coming along a little bit faster than they thought. They've made a little bit more progress than they thought. And even though Reynolds will be, uh, you know, 29 or 30 here in a couple of years, you know, uh, I think they feel now that they're close enough to being competitive that it won't be a case where he'll be on the downside of his career by the time they get competitive. So I think, uh, you know, I not necessarily think they're going to sign him to like an eight-year contract, but I have the feeling he's they, they think of him more as a long-term player here than they did before the season started. Does that make Jose Quintana the guy who's maybe got the most trade value that is also most likely to get moved? 
Yeah, I would say I know a lot of teams would like David Bednar, and there's been a lot of rumors about Bednar, but I really don't see the Pirates moving him as a as a guy that can control a, a all-star caliber closer for four more years. Uh, yeah, Quintana makes the most sense. He's uh, really rejuvenated himself here. He had a, a bad outing the, the day before the all-star break or two days before. But for the most part, he's been consistent. He's only going to go five, six innings at the most, so he's not going to be an innings eater. He's not going to be a guy who comes and transform a team into a World Series winner. But he's certainly a pitcher that could help. could help a team that needs rotation depth, uh, a contender that, that needs to kind of prop up the back end of that rotation a little more than maybe what they currently have on the roster. So I think, yeah, I, I think he has some value. He, he's, he's really restored his value after a couple of injury-plagued and, and bad seasons. And, yeah, and I think they'll get some action on him, and I think they'll trade him. And, uh, you know, they'll probably get at least a, you know, a, a decent prospect for him. Last thing for you, Derek Shelton, how much credit does he deserve for this team continuing to be competitive and really be just being a fun team to watch on an every night basis? You know, it, it's been so hard to judge him because of the lack of talent he had, especially his first two years and 20, of course, which was a screwy season all the way around with the pandemic. And, and even last year, his guys play hard. And, and, you know, that's not always easy to do when you lose 101 games like they did last year. It's easy for a team to throw in the towel some days or throw in the towel, you know, towel midway through the season. But his guys, his guys play hard. They seem to like him. You know, the clubhouse atmosphere seems good. You, you know, you don't hear of any discord. Uh, so, yeah, I think he uh, he's done a good job here under the circumstances. But probably by next year, if they look to take another step forward, you know, I think he'll start to come under a little more scrutiny next year when there might be a little bit of an expectation on that 2023 team. So we'll uh, we'll kind of find out here as they get further along in the rebuild just uh, how good of a manager he is. He is John Parado. John, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time with us as we continue this series around the NL Central. Really appreciate your thoughts and insight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And best of luck in your new gig. Oh, thank you so much to you. I appreciate that, uh, John Parado, a guy who I've talked to many, many times uh, doing uh, various things uh, in radio. and glad to be able to talk to him a little bit about uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So we'll wrap up tomorrow with the uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers, which will be kind of weird. It was a team that I was covering a week ago, and now I'm covering the Cardinals and glad to be doing it. My name is Matt Paul. Are you upset? about the way Brian Snitker managed the All-Star game last night. I want to hear from you. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. If you're mad at Brian Snitker, get in here. We'll talk about it next at Sports Open Line on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yannier Molina. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Yes, <laughs> Albert Pujols is going to stay alive. Is he? Is he? Yes. 19, Albert Pujols will knock off Schwarber and look at Kyle. Deference to the legend. That call from ESPN a couple nights ago when Albert got into the second round of the home run derby before eventually being knocked out. By, uh, by Juan Soto, who went on to win the whole darn thing. Really cool, though. So the ESPYs are being held tonight, the award show that ESPN does each year. This is the slowest sports day of the year, without 
a doubt. Today is the slowest sports day of the year. Thank you, Matthew Kachuk, for telling Calgary that you're not uh, going to sign a long-term deal because at least we get something. Uh, but the ESPYs going on, and just a few moments ago, uh, Albert Pujols winning a really important award. He wins the Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award uh, with his uh, work for the Pujols Fund. Um, and just, um, yeah, like... For everything that he has accomplished in his baseball career, you look at what he's done with the Pulos Foundation, being able to um, impact this world in so many other ways. Uh, really cool that he won that. So uh, congratulations going out to uh, Albert Pujols. It was Joe Buck who presented him the award. Buck is now an employee of, uh, of ESPN. So uh, he was on there, and it was just uh, just worked out perfectly with the All-Star Game being held in Los Angeles yesterday in the um, – the SBs being held in uh, Los Angeles as well. So everything worked out perfectly, except except for Albert Pulos being used in the fourth inning yesterday. Although we had Derek Gould on earlier, and he said that he thought that was probably by design that maybe Pulos asked to be used early in the game. I don't know. I Gosh, wh- don't you wish? Uh, and I would be saying this about if we're 10 years from now and Mike Trout is in his final All-Star game, and he was he's not having a great season and he gets in because he's the commissioner's legacy pick i want to see him in the 8th or ninth inning i want to see a special moment from a from a hall of fame player and that's what i was a little bit frustrated with i was from a winning and lo- losing perspective i would have liked to have seen paul goldschmidt i uh, get more than one at bat like the the optics and optics do matter the optics of the the leading candidate to be the National League MVP, getting one at-bat where 11 other guys on the National League roster alone get at least two at-bats, those aren't great optics. So I understand people who are frustrated with Brian Snitker. If you're frustrated with Brian Snitker, we'll take your calls right now, 314-436-7900. You can also text in. You can also tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air. You can go to our Facebook post, which people are people are fired up on the Facebook. That is uh, that is for sure. Um, some of the comments that we're getting on Facebook. Lori said, "I was not. I was disappointed not seeing Michaelis pitch. Uh, pitch. I wish the Cardinals got to hit more." Uh, where Brent says, "I'm glad Michaelis didn't pitch, and I'm very happy Goldschmidt didn't play long." So yeah, that's that's another side of this, and I think this impacts pitchers more than it impacts hitters. What do you want to see in terms of playing time uh, for pitchers? Because if a if if a pitcher throws, then that potentially impacts their ability to come back as quickly as you'd want. And we mentioned this with Derek Gould earlier. He tweeted out today that the plan for the Cardinals is to go Wainwright, Mats, and then Michaelis this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So yesterday was Tuesday. Michaelis could have pitched. And then if you do that, you still have plenty of time. He throws an inning yesterday. You still have plenty of time for him to eventually come back around and uh, possibly pitch on Sunday as it's being reported. So, But at, at the same time, there are some pitchers, and I, I, I promise you there are some managers out there, probably some managers called up Brian Snitker and said, hey, can you not use my guy? Can you not use my guy uh, in this game because we – we need him on Friday. We need him on Saturday. We we really don't want him pitching. And those conversations kind of happen behind closed doors, to be sure. Uh, Jeff on the Facebook says, the guy hits a home run in his first at bat, and you don't give him another opportunity? Sad. I, it's just 
the part of this that is um the part of this that's challenging is the all-star game is so much about giving opportunities and Goldschmidt had his moment. So you let him out of the game and then you bring other people in, but it kind of goes against potentially winning or losing. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's the hard thing about managing an all-star game. You have to get as many players into the game as possible, but you'd also like to win the game if possible because it's a baseball game and you want to win. 314-436-7900. Tim is in Collinsville. Hey, Tim, you're on Sports Open Line. Hey, yeah, thanks. I have a, a related comment to that. Um, did you play Little League Baseball? Yes. Okay. When you played, was there a free substitution allowed, i.e. someone came in for you and then they got hurt, they could put you back into the game? I know that goes against major league rules, but are, are you familiar with that concept? Yeah, I, I don't remember if those rules – I don't remember the uh, the rules of uh, playing YMCA baseball when I was doing so at the at a young age, but I, I would assume something like – that was about the highest level of baseball I played, so I assume something like that existed. No, but what I'm suggesting, and I want to know your opinion about this, is what about for the All-Star game only, free substitution? You put a player in, everyone in their city gets to – cheer for them, and then they get taken out like Albert or like Goldschmidt. And, and the manager's trying to figure, okay, I want to win this game. It's a close game. You know, so he's trying to – so he could be holding people back on the bench, you know, because he wants to be able to be competitive in the late innings. How about if they come in and come out, letting them be put back in, you know, so it'll reduce the hesitancy of putting certain players in and again, just for the All-Star game, uh, you know, do you think that's a viable rule or something worth considering? Yeah, Tim, I appreciate the phone call. I talked about this a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, I think re-entry for the starters is something that is, if I was making the rules for uh, All-Star games, I would allow starters to re-enter. I would not allow players who start the game on the bench to go into the game, come out, go in again. But I would allow starters to start the game so they get to be in the starting lineups, fans voted them in, all that sort of stuff. They can get in at bat, get all the starters out after they get their first at bat in, and from the third through the seventh inning or so, just do the the cavalcade of all the players coming in and out of the game. And then once you get to the end, I would bring starters back in and allow them to play like the eighth and ninth innings, especially in close games like we had last night. I think re-entry in the All-Star game makes all the sense in the world because that's if you're going to try to win a game, you know the game doesn't it doesn't quite mean what it used to when uh, the uh, what the the home field advantage in the World Series was determined by who wins the All Star Game. It's not to that point, but you still want to win games. So put your best players out there and put the players that the fans voted in. Put those players in the game late. So I, I absolutely uh, would be in favor of that. And so that's how if that's how I would do it if I was uh, if I was running things uh, on the text line. I'm fine with how the Cardinals were used in the All-Star game in order to avoid injuries, except that I would have preferred to have seen Pujols hit in the 8th or ninth inning. Um, from 3-1-4, I'm okay with them only getting one at bat and Michaelis not being used. Don't wear them out. Uh, I was Another text message, I was disappointed that Goldie and Albert only had one at bat. Perhaps it was their choice. As for Miles, he pitched on the 16th, so it was probably his bullpen day anyway. Maybe he chose not to play as well. And maybe the Cardinals are planning on using him in game one or two against Cincinnati this weekend. So, again, what's being reported is that he's going to go in game three on Sunday. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, with pitchers, I've, I'm not going to get upset about Miles Michaelis not being used. 
you you don't need to put ex- even if it's one inning, you don't need to put extra innings on anybody's arm. He was a late addition to the All Star roster, anyways. That's just that is something I'm not going to get upset about. I was a little bit perturbed. I've been Derek Gould pushed me in the other direction. I I came into work today kind of annoyed that Paul Goldschmidt got just one at bat. But then as I think about it, okay, he hit his home run. He got his moment. You had to get other guys in there. There was a lot of first baseman DH types that were on that roster. You want to work as many of them in. So Derek Gould convinced me in the other direction. I think Pujols hitting later, unless he specifically asked, and we don't know if that's the case, unless Pujols specifically asked to uh, to hit later, uh, hit earlier in the game, that's the one that I did not like. Because, but here's the here's the bigger thing here, and I mentioned this earlier. It's a three-two game. It's, a, it's the all-star game in every other sport. In the and look, the baseball, even with the declining numbers on people watching it, baseball still has the best all-star game. With it is better than the Pro Bowl. It is better than the NBA all-star game. It's better than the NHL all-star game. What's number two? What's is it probably basketball? It just from an entertainment standpoint, is it probably it's, it's either basketball or hockey? I never understand that. The hockey, if you remember, it was it was like twenty years ago. But hockey, when when the uh, when the players were first allowed to start playing in the Olympics, all those years ago, I think that was like the late nineties, if I remember correctly. Uh, hockey went to like USA or North America versus the world, and it seems like every year they have a different format for the All Star Game. Or you have like multiple mini games inside of one game. Like I just, I don't know. I don't understand what's happening in the NHL All Star Game each year. So it's hard for me to be invested in that one. I just, I just don't know. Um, NBA, you know what's going on, and I still like the skills competition that goes along with the NBA. I like, I like the home run derby. I like all those events. You know what I miss? I don't think they do this anymore. If they do it, I don't see it. Back in the day when, um, for football, when the Pro Bowl was held in Hawaii every year, they did the skills competitions, and they would have the guys on the beach, and you got the guys without shoes on, on the beach, in the sand, doing sprints against each other and doing all the other uh, skills competitions. I don't know if they still do skills competitions in the NFL. If they do, it does not. A, we have 9 million channels now growing up. Uh, it, it wasn't until high school that my family even got cable. So growing up, I've got uh, I've got my five channels that I'm watching. So if I'm watching TV on a Saturday afternoon and uh, it's the around the Pro Bowl time, pretty good chance that I'm going to land on uh, on all those uh, festivities that were going on. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't even know if they have a skills competition uh, in the NFL. And I don't even know if I'd watch it. That's the other thing. Like I'm I'm sitting here waxing poetic about the Hawaii skills competition for NFL players. Well. If if they have it on TV tomorrow, in all honesty, probably not turning that on. I will enjoy myself watching it when I was 13 years old, and I will move on from it uh, at this point in time. I don't know how we got on to, but yeah, baseball's got the best. Uh, baseball's got the best All Star game, but it's still last night's game was not overly compelling outside of the score because at bats mattered lately. Like going in the ninth inning, can, can the National League find a way? to get a home run and tie this game up. And if they do tie it up, we're going to see the wacky home run derby that's going to uh, uh, determine who ends up winning the game. All those things are going on. But the actual game, it was just, it was not that compelling. It did look, it looked a lot like a regular season game. It looked like a Tuesday night game between the Cardinals and whoever over at Bush Stadium, like 3-2 game, good pitching, 
I just I'd like to see a few more runs scored. There's there's always the conspiracy theory. Like when it comes to the Field of Dreams game, there's the conspiracy theory that whether it's the Field of Dreams game or whether it's any other kind of high profile game that Major League Baseball reinserts some of the baseballs from a, a couple years ago to try to create some more offense. I don't know if that's true or not. Although there's actually some some evidence out there, some data out there that would say something like that does kind of happen. Uh, if something like that's going to happen for the Field of Dreams game, then it absolutely should happen for the All-Star game. Like I said before, the baseballs being used in the All-Star game do not allow them anywhere near the humidor. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. My name's Matt Pauley. We've got more sports open line coming up in just a moment here on KMOX. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. Nothing says we're wrapping things up on a Wednesday night than a little Nickelback here. The Sultry Tones. What's the name of their lead singer? I used to know. I used to, back in the day, Nickelback. That was kind of my jam. I don't know if I should admit that. We're we're getting to know each other. This is day three. Uh, I said this. Um, I said this in the the newspaper. Dan, Dan Caesar of the Post Dispatch did a great uh, write up on my hiring, and I said like people are going to get to know. Me. I share my life on the radio, and it feels like here in the first few days it's been nothing but sports, which is why you tune in. Um, but yeah, you're going to get to know uh, what's going on in my life and my family's life as we uh, share this time uh, together uh, on every night basis. I had to laugh though. So in that um, in that story that uh, Dan Caesar wrote in the Post Dispatch, there's comments, and I went down to read the comments, and somebody said uh, along the lines of, "Well, I hope this guy knows how to pronounce Nolan Arenado's name. It's not Nolan Arenado. It's Nolan Arenado." So here's the funny story on that. When I was broadcasting minor league baseball, uh, I spent six years in Colorado Springs broadcasting for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who were a AAA team at the time. They don't exist anymore uh, in, in that current form, and they are now a much lower-level team there in Colorado Springs, now known as the Rocky Mountain Vibes. Uh, my final year there, they were a Brewers affiliate, and that was what connected me to Milwaukee. But before then, they were a Rockies affiliate. And I remember it was the beginning of the season banquet. And I went up and I introduced myself to Nolan Arenado. And I had heard, as he was coming up through the minor league system, I had heard his name pronounced Arenado and Arenado. So I went up to him and I, I introduced myself and I said, okay, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Arenado or Arenado? You know what he says to me? He goes, oh, it doesn't matter. I said, no, it does. It does matter. He goes, no, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. So I, I look at him and I say, okay, if I'm talking to your mom right now, and I ask how to pronounce your last name, what is your mother going to say? I want to know how to pronounce your last name correctly. And like he almost begrudgingly says, okay, it's Arenado. So, okay. So we spend the year, or not even the year. He was in Colorado Springs for like a month, if I remember correctly. Uh, but we spend the month calling him Nolan Arenado. So then he gets up to the big leagues, and they start calling him Nolan Arenado. And it was very frustrating for me. It was one of, it was a, uh, I was conflicted as I dealt with this because I knew, I knew personally that you pronounce this guy's name, Nolan Arenado, but the rest of the world was calling him Nolan Arenado. So I had two choices. 
Choice number one was to call him Nolan Arenado and everybody listening to me thinking that I'm mispronouncing his name because most people are just going to assume that the, the people with the Rockies are getting it right, right? Like if if the Rockies broadcast TV and radio and everybody else there is calling him Nolan Arenado and and, and some, some talk show host and AAA broadcaster in Colorado Springs is calling him Nolan Arenado, then obviously it's got to be the guy in Colorado Springs that's wrong even though I know I was right. So I, was, I had this internal conflict. What do I do? Do I, do I call him the correct name where everybody's going to think I'm wrong, or do I call him the incorrect name just so people out there are going to think that, uh, that, I am, uh, that, that I'm correct? And I kind of went back and forth. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. There was an occasion where I called him Nolan Arenado uh, when I was in Colorado. But I was, I was the one carrying the torch before you even knew that, no, it's Arenado. It's Arenado. Trying to tell everybody out there it's Arenado, not Arenado. So I had to laugh the other day when I saw that comment at, saying, oh, I hope this guy knows how to pronounce his name. Yeah, I know. I know because he told me himself many, many years ago when he was in Colorado Springs playing a little bit of AAA baseball. All right, that is it for this program today. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Have another full program tomorrow, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Can't wait to talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of Sports Open Line here on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.